Recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Rene Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's, let's get, get it on. Welcome back to the Martial Culture Podcast. Uh, Renee is back and refreshed from a nice long vacation uh, across the pond, as they say. It was across the pond. I went to uh, England and also to Paris, taking my wife there for her first time. I'd been there before, but she had not. And uh, I hadn't been there for a long time. The last time I was there was 1980, so it was very different, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, saw some of the sites, had some fun. Um, uh, saw Stonehenge again, which was like, for That's me, awesome. the highlight. Oh, it's like crazy good. It's it was so like, cool. it was so cool. There's like another ruin nearby, which um, I'm, I'm blank on the name, but uh, I'll, I'll look it up in a second. But it, it was actually bigger than Stonehenge, not well known. And it's it's not far. And um, I'll tell you it in one second. But it, it's like really, really cool. We didn't get to go there, but my next trip, I'm absolutely 100% going to go there. It um, was recommended by someone who lived in... Um, in uh, in England, he lives in England, and he also listens to the show. So, uh, Finn, thank you for your advice. Unfortunately, we weren't able to to make it over, but still, um, Stonehenge was absolutely fantastic. It was it was like one of those moments you just kind of don't forget. Um, uh, it was amazing. And one thing I was really cool was that like the crowd control. You know, a lot of times you go to places, and that be in Japan a lot. You go to this like amazing place. Like there's this place called. Um, uh, uh, King Kakuji Temple in Japan. It's the Golden Temple. It's all amazing. Blah, blah, blah. If you go there, there's like 10,000 tourists and they just completely ruined it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, whatever Zen moment was supposed to happen here is not happening. And, um, and, uh, um, you know, they ruin it. But with, uh, Stonehenge, they had this really good system. So first you like, we got to the area and there's this like waiting zone, like, you know, about half a mile away. So everybody waits there. It's like a little museum, and they hang out. There's some food there, and everybody's chill. Then you have to take their little bus, which is all, like, electric, too. It's not polluting the environment or anything. Take this small little bus to this, you know, very small path to Stonehenge, and they let you off, and they control the crowd, and then you can go around. You can't actually touch it anymore. When I went there when I was a kid, you could actually get really close, but too many people, like, did graffiti on it and did terrible things. But, um, but uh, um you know, you kind of walked around it and you just, you got to see it and you could walk through the the brushes because Stonehenge, people don't realize there's actually a thing called Woodhenge nearby, which was like another, it's not there anymore because it's made of wood, but it's like another part of the whole complex. And there's uh, uh, little, um, they, they, they dug different patterns into the earth, you know, kind of like the Nazca lines or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so you can see this. You can walk around the whole area, and it, it's just really, really cool. And I, they didn't... Um they didn't ruin it at all. It was it was just it was just nice. It was really, really fun. I was um I was blown away. So it was great. And then we went to um tons of museums and in when we were in Paris we just hit so many interesting places. Louvre, we saw the Mona Lisa and and it was great. But one of the things I really like to see is actually some people don't know that there's this thing called Elgin Marbles. Have you ever heard of them? Does this guy like Lord Elgin? Have you heard of it? Like marbles you play marbles with? No, things made of marble. Yes, oh, okay. but the same same thing, sure. right? But he basically was an ambassador to the Ottoman Empire at the, you know, way like 100 years ago, right? And he realized that all these Greek statues in the Parthenon and things like that were kind of falling apart. So he's like, I'm going to take him back to England, <laughs> which is like kind of problematic, mm-hmm. but his his goal was ostensibly to keep them from being destroyed. So the British Museum has the largest collection of ancient Greek sculpture and art uh, of any place in the world outside of Greece. And it was so cool because you saw all this like ancient, you know, right from the top of the Parthenon and things like that. And guess what? There's tons of sculpture of guys doing combat, like Mm -hmm. pancreation and fighting. And, you know, I'm looking at them. I'm seeing all these positions that we do today that are like supposedly modern. And I'm like, hmm. Look at that. And so a a side thing for me, because, of course, I can't think about anything other than martial arts. A side thing is whenever I look at art or sculpture or something historic, I'm like, I always like to look at the the ones that they depict fighting and to see the poses and what. And so all the trip kind of inspired me. That trip uh, to the British Museum, and then we went to Paris. We were doing all this sculpture. And I'm seeing so many guys showing positions of combat. And you look at the structures of the body that the sculpture produces, and they're 
100% accurate in terms of combat relevance. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was one where, um, this is more French, we saw it in the, in the Museum d'Orsay, and there was one, I'll post a picture of it, but the guy's doing the most perfect knee on the belly position controlled this, like the same way Cain Velasquez did it to Brock Lesnar. And he's just doing there, and he's hitting, and he has a sword, but it's the same position. It was Cain Velasquez, Brock Lesnar, <laughs> 5,000 years ago. You know, awesome. like, yeah. I actually wasn't in the museum, it was somewhere else. Did your wife get nervous that you were studying the male male form and all these <laughs> pictures no she did no. not because she's in the same you know she trains too yeah. and she's like uh she's like oh my god this is so interesting and she's like oh you know when we're looking at one she's like ah his bounce a little off on that one his <laughs> knee position is off i'm like you know uh, you're actually right his knee position is the perfect off. woman yeah right I know. she is the perfect woman yes most of the time <laughs> <laughs> no all the time absolutely all the time no question <laughs> So yeah, so that was it was a, it was a great time. And while we were in um, in uh, France, I actually got to do um, some training with some French MMA fighters, and I did a little mini seminar there. And they were absolutely amazing. And um, it was just it was just uh, f- fantastic. And and then when I was in London, I met my friend Jalal, and he listens to the podcast. So. Um, um, I'm going to say hi. And we did some leg lock uh, oriented training because he was interested in doing that. And uh, we just had a, a great time. So I did, got some cram some training in as well. Wow. And it was it, seeing the guys in Paris that uh, one of them is a cage, cage warriors, cage warriors champion is like in British promotion, cage, cage rage, cage, war, cage, cage warriors. Cage warriors yeah. yeah. He's like yeah. The, the champ there. That's cool. And he was really good. And my friend, um, Sammy, who's an MMA pro MMA fighter who trained with us here in New York for a while. He was, it was his group. And, um, it was just unbelievable. I, I had a great time. I had a great time. It was like, um, Fantastic, but you know, seeing um, it was like my little thing was like seeing all these little um, little things that have to do with martial arts, and so the whole time I was thinking of like, oh, is this position here? And then the other thing was I was, I was thinking I'll talk about later, but um, you know, um, uh, I saw that the movie A Star Is Born on the Plane. You know that movie with uh, Lady Gaga and mm-hmm. all that, yeah. and everybody's like, you know, this is a martial arts. Why are we, you know, doing some rom coms? You know, and I didn't want to. <laughs> it's watch a sad it. movie to watch on a plane. I think. Yeah, it was. It was sad. Anyway, so so like I didn't want to watch it, right? Because you know I'm a man, and I'm like, I'm first. I'm watching this like documentary on SpaceX and this, and my wife turns on, and I'm like, all right, I should probably watch it. This looks kind of interesting, right? Of course, I'm bawling my eyes out halfway through. I'm like, this is so sad. It's a remake. You know, it's a remake of a of a remake. A, yeah, a remake. Right? Yeah. It's it's like a really old movie, and this this version was like a lot more. Um, I thought it d- deeper than the old one. I think I'd, I'd seen the old I've one like when I was a kid. No. Yeah, Chris like Christopherson and no, Barbara I'm talking. Streisand? Yeah, no, but there was the one from like one the that. 40s. Yeah, never yeah. saw either. Yeah, yeah. I saw the. I never saw the the one from the 70s, but I saw the one from the 40s. Oh. So it's like you know, my mom and dad like sure. old movie crap, you know. And um, I remember seeing the old one, and at least when I was a kid, right? Yeah. Like when I was four or something. And uh, this was this is this is kind of interesting. But he has this one song, and because um, he's like a He's like a country singer, you know, and it's like time to let the old ways die. And it was like, I, I want to talk about it later in, in the podcast. It's kind of a theme of change. And you could see one time I was walking through the Louvre and uh, the Museum of France and you could just think every art from every period, every art, like completely. And so you see like you're in this medieval time and then you move the next tech section. It's Renaissance. The next one, this is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we saw some was my wife's a designer. We saw so much. Uh, uh, art on this trip. I mean, like, man, art up the kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> who planned the trip? Oh, yeah, who do you think? Not me. <laughs> like, after the 50th museum, I'm like, this is very interesting, but Where's I just want to, like, yeah, <laughs> no, we had good like, I just want to watch. I was like, can we go watch Spider Man? <laughs> She's like, on the vacation, why are we watching Spider Man? Watch it anyway. Yeah, no, exactly, right? But uh, she was like throwing stuff at me. But, um, but you know, you see this evolution of of artistic technique over time and you see how things evolve and it made me interesting to think about martial arts and sometimes you got to let the old ways die mm-hmm. you know and and evolve and go forward and change and um it was this kind of thing like seeing all these different things see things that are, are that never change these fundamentals like knee on the belly five thousand years ago the guy's doing the same thing we did i mean not five thousand but you know whatever uh, two thousand four thousand years ago whatever um or, and then you see some things that you're like, oh right, that is not something that is 
that is modern. This is this is we've moved to have moved beyond this, mm-hmm. and how there's important to evolve and go forward and, and constantly move into the modern era, and um, so it was like a trip. There, I was kind of like really thinking about things and and um, and how to change. And that theme of that movie, A Star Is Born, is like you know he can't. You saw it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he can't change. You know, he's a destructive behavior. So. It's, it's interesting. Remind me of a little bit of Luke Rockhold, you know, like in the last fight. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke Rockhold is like a guy like Aaron Pico. We talk about it. these guys are just so awesome in the training room, and they just can't put it together. They just mm-hmm. can't make it happen. You know, I mean, Luke Rockhold was a champion for a minute, but you know, it's like, what is he? Why is he so good? And his performance is so poor. He's like he's been knocked out so many fights. This is kind of like, what is he doing wrong? In his life, what does he have to let go? What does he have to change? What is he not changing? Mm-hmm. You know, and I know he changed camps, but it doesn't seem to have been helping him. It's something, something's wrong. And I think with him, it's it's also a little mental issue or something like that. But anyway, let's talk about the fights too, and then we can come back to this topic. So, starting with when I was there, we watched um, John Jones, your favorite fighter, and what did you think about the a the nail biter? I mean, honestly, I didn't. It wasn't. It didn't it really feel was. like there was a, a clear. Winner until I mean he played a little more defensive in the fifth round. It really was. I, uh, I agree. But he was chopping him down like uh, Tiago Santos. Santos yeah. was really chopping at that leg, like there was some sort of big swelling on his thigh. huge, huge. It was like this massive hematoma yeah. on his leg, and you could just totally see it. I think it came out in like the fourth round. I think was when it first really showed up. Yeah, you know, I don't know, but I just I noticed it. Yeah, yeah. for sure, especially yeah. And the thing was, you know. Did you hear what about Maheta's uh, Tiago Santos' nickname is Maheta, which means mallet? Did you see his diagnosis after the fight? No. So I posted on the on the Facebook page. Thanks for checking. <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> oh, that's right. But um, not on Instagram. But he he. I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it to you. It's this is this doctor's um uh, uh um uh after they took the MRI and everything of his leg. I'm going to read it to you. So. He fought the entire fight because it happened right in the, I believe, in the first, almost the first round, second round, in the beginning of the fight. And so this is this is what it is. Tiago Santos' post-fight MRI revealed a torn ACL, oh my God. MCL, PCL, and meniscus tear in the left knee. He spent most of the five rounds like that and got the first winning scorecard ever against John Jones. And the guy says, inhumanly tough. And that is true. I've never seen anyone do better against John Jones in one round. No. And the guy had every single ligament and a meniscus in his knee. <laughs> How was he standing? How is he no, how's he standing? You could see it. He was like he was wobbling on that leg. And then he just kept kicking. But performing. Like not only standing, yeah, but absolutely. performing. Performing. Wow. I, and you know, I um I, I actually am a big John Jones fan of John Jones in the ring. I am. Let's get that. But I was not a fan of how he approaches fight. And I think John Jones is falling into the trap. A lot of grapplers have who get good at striking because mm-hmm. gra- takedowns, especially when you're fighting a guy who's bigger, they are draining. It is a lot because people think like, why is a lot of people ask me why is MMA gravitating towards striking more nowadays? And most of the grapplers today are like, well, you know, because the rules and this, and then you know, can't grapple because of time limit and blah blah blah. That's kind of true. I wouldn't say it's not true, but there's also another thing: is it's it's easier to punch and kick. It's just especially if you have an efficient understanding of punching kicking, it takes like less energy. It takes a lot of energy to shoot on a guy who's bigger than you and finish that takedown. It, it does. It takes a lot of energy. And um and it's draining. And so I think John Jones is like, dude, why am I gonna spend a lot of cardio taking this guy down when I can just punch him in the face? Mm-hmm. And he's a lot of great wrestlers like the another one, Justin Gaethje, who's actually you wouldn't even think it, but has a wrestling background. The guy never shoots. He never just defensively wrestles. Another one is, um, you know, uh, uh, Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero never shoots. Like, he never shoots. He just, like, explodes with a punch and then backs off. And you try to shoot on him, he'll stop. And once in a while, he'll take that down. But he never does. These guys, Yoel Romero is, like, freaking gold medalist in the Olympics. Why are they not? Because, like, they don't want to push the pace so much that they get tired. And, um, and, and striking is generally easier if you're good, if you're decently good at it or you have a sense of it, right? Um... Again, I go back to George St. Pierre. I think he had a great concept. He, he, he does what people, instead of shooting a double or whatever, he pushes people against the cage too, and he'd tire them out of the cage and look for the cage takedown. And that was what Kamara Usman did against Tyron Woodley. He just pushed him against the cage. And I think that's a, that's a strategy. I think I would have liked to see John Jones do more of that. And he did that in the last fight against Anthony Smith. 
And I would like to see him have done the more of that. I think it was a really close fight because he chose not to grapple. I don't know if he made a conscious choice to like see how tough the guy was or whatever. I heard in a post fight yeah. interview with John Jones that said he fought him in his wheelhouse. Yes, he definitely did. And he wanted to see if he could win. Yeah. And so I, I think yeah. that he said that when there if there is a, a rematch, which there should be, that he will not do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a lot of fighters do that. You know, I was wondering, you know, it's funny because I don't do the post fight commentary too much. Mm. But I was wondering if that was the case. And I'm really glad you saw that. That's why I make such a good team. Mm. Um, but, you know, some fighters do that. They're like, I'm going to go to your, in Japanese they call it, you know, aite no dohyo. Dohyo is the sumo ring. And you go into the, the, the opponent's ring and you see if you can beat him. It's a very, very Japanese thing to do. And it's very fucking stupid. <laughs> but it is. It's like Japanese mm-hmm. pro wrestlers, Japanese the hard pro wrestlers, the, 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 the pro wrestlers who weren't fake, they would always say, okay, if the guy's a good, you know, uh, good at this, I'm going to go there and challenge him on his turf. And, man, that's an easy way to lose a fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I give him props, but it's not smart. It's more ego-based. It's not, you know, it's one person I really respect who always had a game plan, even though I actually don't like his technique that much. Sounds weird, but... Fedora Malianenko, he always had a game plan, and up until like the end of his career now. But but when he was you know active, he was like, I'm gonna do this game plan. I'm gonna do this, and that's what I'm gonna do. And I'm I have no emotion. I'm gonna be the fucking Terminator, you know, like Stone Cold. Mm. And that is the way you want to have a fight. Is nothing changes your game plan, and the game plan is the smartest, most efficient way to to do. It. If you're better at grappling, just grappling, mm-hmm. you know, like. But I understand that challenges. I think what makes a champion is is on one side is MMA fighting champion is that you know you you have an iron will and part of that iron will is also sometimes risk taking and you know, Donald Cerrone's like that the guy does like uh, um jet skiing like the day before the fight <laughs> i'm like this is crazy this is like very illogical risk taking but the the two behaviors go together you know yeah. being attracted to fight sport and being attracted to like high risk you know challenge and um and i think Sometimes high risk challenge is rewarding for its own sake. Why do people climb Mount Everest? Because it's high risk challenge. That's that's rewarding. So sometimes putting yourself in that stupid place to to get that to get to that mm-hmm. sense of I'm challenging myself. That that's a, sometimes important oh, fighters. I don't have that in me because I'm always easy way out. You know that is not true, Matt. You no. you know you are you're that's a warrior, true. and it's funny. Like you know you you impress me, Matt. But if I, I was like yeah. if I had a UFC title. I don't think I'd risk it against Tiago Santos. <laughs> right, exactly. No shit. <laughs> now you know. You know, is the exact opposite of that is is Tyron Woodley. You know, almost too much. Yeah. So Tyron Woodley would just not take a chance ever. Yeah. Right. His like last, nothing. Yeah. Right. Jesus fucking Christ, man. It's boring. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like not really relevant for combat because when you become so much so conservative, like you can't. You, you're not going to win a street fight just being a counterfighter. Like, you have to engage sometimes. And, you know, so I give John Jones credit. I give him credit. I mean, I would have liked to see him mix up. And, he, and he, basically, this was a glorified kickboxing match. There was almost mm-hmm. no grappling. So, to me, that's less interesting than drawing from every style. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why some of the fights are yeah. really fascinating. I was I was, yeah, engaged the entire time. Yeah. So, it was a good fight. No, no, it's interesting. Five no. rounds are, usually aren't. Exciting, and it was close. No, it was close, yeah. and they're they're beating each other up. That yeah. was it was a, it was it was a, it was a technical fight. And man, you know, Maheta is one tough guy. Um, he's one tough guy. Total respect. I, I'm not like actually. I'll be honest with you. I'm not like super in love with this technique. He's not bad, but I, I think more it's the physicality, and and he has that one punch knockout power, and he almost dropped it. I mean, it was the first round, second round, second round where he hit John Jones. John Jones was like, "Whoa, I gotta respect mm-hmm. this guy." He <laughs> was like, "Holy shit!" After that diagnosis, though, how long is he out before he can fight again? A while, a while. I'm probably has that knee surgery. It's gonna be like almost a year. a year. Yeah, probably like that. You'd be surprised. I mean, you know, like the modern medicine is amazing, but mm-hmm. and you know, steroids. <laughs> Which I think is do some blood spinning. Now let's go. But that was it. Was still a great fight. But let's talk about Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes. Did you see that fight? I was rooting for Holly Holm. Really? Yes, the oh, whole time. Really? I wasn't rooting for anyone in particular. But but uh, why would you rooting for Holly Holm? Why is that? Just because she's American, or just because you like her, or like? I liked Amanda Nunes until recently, just for like outside of the ring antics. What did you I do? don't like when people are like. When they get too, too full of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Was she like that? She was, yeah. Oh, that sucks. And uh, 
it was like you know I don't follow any of that. So. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't too surprised at the result, but I was just rooting for home. I mean, yeah, I've really it. been a fan of Holly Holm ever since she uh, knocked Ronda Rousey in a WWE. That was nice. Um, <laughs> she knocked her into another sport, yeah. <laughs> never to be seen again. Um, so, so one of my fighters going to tell you, one of my fighters had a, had a fight. I don't want to say the name, but he had a fight and um, and he beat his opponent, and then and, and the opponent doesn't fight anymore because he was arrested for some criminal activity oh. and uh my, my fighter says yeah i knocked him into a i punched him into a life of crime <laughs> <laughs> so it made me crack up this is kind of sad whatever but it's a funny that thing to funny. say to yeah what, holly home knocked what's that. the result after the last fight yeah um but yeah i think nunez is obviously an amazing fighter and that knockout was very <laughs> clean and nice yeah i loved it um did you you obviously thought Nunez was going to come out? Yeah, yeah, no, but it was really interesting because one of the things that I noticed is you know Holly Holm loves that stomping knee kick, you know the pisao kick that John Jones does, but sometimes she lends side kick to the body, but sometimes she loves it too much. And what happened was the worst thing you do. So, so I'm going to ask you a question: What do you think is not MMA, but like every fighting sport, whether it's like Arnie's? fencing, kickboxing, boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling. There's a couple universals that are important for every single combat sport, including shooting guns. Nate, do you, can you think of, if you can, it's okay, but I want to put you on the spot, but can you think of one attribute that you would say, this is really important for every single, for a fighter of any type? Footwork? That is very true. I would say I would say footwork is really important. Uh, maybe if you're shooting a gun, not as much important, but it could be. It depends if you're yeah. But no, footwork is incredibly important. That is really true. But not the answer we're looking for. No, no, no. It kind of <laughs> is related. No, it's not wrong. It's so it's footwork. To have good footwork, you have to have balance. You have to be in balance. Uh, yes. You have to. So actually, Matt, your answer was amazing. That was that's what I meant. Balance. <laughs> it was implied. Well, I'll give you extra credit. Read between the lines. <laughs> so. You're right, though, in, in that footwork is important. And because it's important, is you have to, you can't have footwork and be off balance, right? And, and balance is key. Now, what she did is she lifted her kick up to lift her leg up. Holly Holm lifted her leg up to do the, the side kick, the sound kick to the knee, but she kept it there and she was off balance. And Nunez was like, You're going to stay there? Okay, I'm going to kick you in the head. <laughs> now, when you're off balance, you get hit, is one of the worst places to be. I always say, Try to always off balance someone before you do something, right? And and the founder of judo, Jigoro Kano, had these concepts of how to approach throwing, and he says first thing you do is kazushi, which is balance breaking. Then when you break their balance, they become easier to throw. But the same thing is true true for every single technique in in uh, in fighting. Mm-hmm. So if I if I hit you with a really hard body shot and you bend over, and then I hit you with an uppercut, that uppercut is going to be much more powerful because you can't actually defend yourself when you're bent over and off balance. Mm-hmm. The worst time to get hit is when you're off balance. And Holly Holm was off balance. And that kick just came up and just knocked her into, into Iowa. <laughs> like it was like, whoa. And I felt bad for her. And she just held that leg up. And I think Amanda Nunes really planned that. She's like, mm. you love that kick, but you love it too much. And you leave it out there. And I think she really planned it, just waiting for it. Because it was like first round finish. So she, I think it was a question, like she researched Holly Holm and maybe like found, you know, one of the weaknesses that she does. Yeah. And it was, it was an f- f- amazing finish. Like I did not think it would end in a, so quickly. I did not think that. I, I thought Nunes would win, but yeah, I, was, I, I thought it was going to be a little bit longer, you know? And uh, the same thing with the Ben Askren. Okay, this this was great. Okay, I guess <laughs> I have a wonderful joke. A wonderful joke. Okay. Is it a pun? It is a pun. Okay. Yeah. ready. <laughs> when you trash talk that much, you're just Askren for it. That <laughs> <laughs> was good. That was a good one, right? Yeah. I didn't make that up. But you I, didn't make I that did up? I did not make that up. I did not make that up. I'm stolen. I'm a oh. thief. You're just asking for it. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. That I mean, the trash talk that this guy shovels, shoveled before the fight was just nuts. I heard someone say that the the way this fight ended was the best best result that Askren could ask for, because now he's going to get a rematch, and he didn't actually. He's like, going to get a rematch. I think what he's going to get fuck? a rematch, and like it, it was like a fluke. Like Mas- Masvidal is an amazing fighter, and yeah. I'm sure he planned that. And he yeah, came he out did. With he, it. Oh, he was. I, I posted. Did you see? I posted. Or you didn't see? Mm-hmm. But I posted him 
the day the day before in the ring practicing that exact move like there's a video of him doing it like 20 times practicing that why was that why was why was nobody watching that (laughs) i know it was in his warm-up no i mean i think it was his trainers posted it was filming and then they they posted it later afterwards yeah but but that's him warming up like he completely 100 percent planned yeah and it's obvious because and even said it in the post by video he's like askren's shoots incorrectly for mma Mm. And that is a fact. His body is bent over at a 90-degree angle, and it's, his head is exposed. And he does it all the time. And Askren is an amazing mat wrestler. He is. He is amazing. I do not like Ben Askren. But on the mat, he's an anaconda. Mm. And he's really good, which is why I think he takes to submissions a little kind of easily, like chokes and stuff. But as a takedown guy, his fundamentals are not correct. That's just a fact. His fundamentals, the body position is not correct. What he mm-hmm. does is he he jumps into the shot. He almost never gets the first double. But then he clinches with you, and then he wraps up like a snake on you, and then he kind of brings you down to the mat. So, mm-hmm. But his his body position for doubles is not really that good. What he does is he kind of uses it to get his body lock, and then he gets a trip, or he kind of brings you, he drags you to the mat, or whatever. He does what he does. But his initial in- engagement... Just like Quone Gracie used to do, the initial engagement strategy is was very poor. Mm-hmm. And Master was like, "I'm gonna knee you in the fucking face, motherfucker," <laughs> you know. And uh, you saw the same thing with um, the same mistake. The head is on the wrong side, meaning it's it's on the side of the leg back, and and then you just eat the knee, the head, you know, eat that mm-hmm. knee. And and Master was like, mm, "I'm gonna knee you in the face," yeah. and uh, but uh, but you 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 think people think of it as a fluke or? I think that the not a, not a fluke. So obviously he yeah. did say that he planned it, and you yeah. can't come out there and do a knee without planning it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but <laughs> he was, was, so you see how relaxed he was. His hands were behind his yeah. back and everything. He, was he like, just was like, "This is ending. <laughs> I'm going to go to Applebee's after this." <laughs> um, but it was it was. I think he's going to get a rematch because while it's not a fluke, it was like such a weird instance that people want to see it again. What the actual fight would look like, like. Yeah. Let's see what the actual fight and people Just let are it saying play out a little bit more. That yeah. Masvidal would have won either way. Yeah, of course. And that Askren got lucky that it ended that quickly because it it would have been a brutal, would be brutal. Yeah, 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 yeah. it would have been a brutal. So, so he would have taken more damage. Yeah, is Askren going up for the, the the rematch? I haven't heard, but I'm sure he wants one. We were yeah. watching the uh, um, un, uh, embedded, and my wife and I were watching it, and he came on the screen, and she's like, "I think he's taking too many hits to the head." Oh, because he talks so slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, Is that's he a good question. Southern? I don't even know where but he's he, from. You know, he. Um, no offense to Southern people. No, I don't know where he's from, but he has that like, uh, mm. he has that way of speaking that um, is sounds almost punchy. You're right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sometimes I don't know if he is punchy, but he has that way of speaking where he is very slow and measured. Maybe it's just the way he's playing. You know, no, no disrespect. I mean, I, you I don't know, know any much yeah, about him, but yeah. my wife just made that observation. No, no, for sure. It was her, not me. I, I think no, but a, there's some <laughs> fighters. There's some fighters who you can see the degeneration of their speech patterns oh, of over course, time. Yeah. One of them is um, is uh, Tony Ferguson, not Tony Ferguson. Um, the one from Hawaii, um, Max Holloway. Mm. You know, he's he, my wife. My wife said that too. He's like, hmm, is it, I'm like, is it the Hawaiian accent or is it? But then you look interviews with him like a year before, and you're like, oh, this guy's been taking some punishment, man. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his speech patterns are slower, which is very sad. That's the problem when you are striking-based fighter. You take a lot of punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I would love to see Askren just get the shit kicked out of him again. You know, why <laughs> we'll not? See let's it see it again. Yeah, let's see it again. Um, you know, like like the beginning of, um, of uh, uh, what's the guy who fought before um, who who get too choked out? Uh, it was controversial. Um, Robbie Lawler. The beginning of Robbie Lawler, Ben Askren, was like really rough. That was like, that was old school Valley Tudor style. Like just slapping on his head, and it was pretty amazing. Um, um, yeah, but that whole card was really, it was like a really, really good card. Um, one guy on that card who was new to the, kind of somewhat new to the UFC, was Edmund Shabazian. This, this is really good. This guy has, he's undefeated, and I'm, he's, I'm going to make a prediction. This guy is going to be in the mix soon, and he is, um, he fights 185. And he's ten and zero, uh, and this is his third fight in the UFC. But he had, um, he had, uh, um, it was on the Dana White's Contender Series thing. And this last one, he fought Jack Marshman, who was because like he has forty, a uh, thirty, thirty over thirty fight, thirty four, thirty five fight, thirty three fights, something like that, thirty two, thirty two fights, thirty twenty. Yeah, twenty three wins. So he has double plus the amount of wins hmm. and way more. Uh, three times the, the amount of fights and he just showed amazing grappling first round uh, back mount finish it was just 
just beautiful, beautiful display of efficient mm-hmm. grappling. And um, that was a great fight. Um, what did you think of Sanchez, Diego Sanchez? Fight? I, I didn't see that one, but I saw that he'd lost, and I was kind of surprised. No, you know, and Michael Chiesa really outgrappling. I'll be honest, I only saw the highlights. Yeah. So uh, I, didn't I was, watch it I, all. <laughs> I was, we were in, uh, we were in London. And so we were like trying to, it was the next day, we were trying to download it, find it, and mm. we had trouble finding all the fights. But that one I only saw how this, but it looked like Michael Chiesa ran a grappling cr- clinic on him. Huh. And um, Diego Sanchez is a very good grappler. I mean, yeah. he, he, but Chiesa is, is, he's legit. And he, he is very, very, um, uh, uh, very skilled grappler. And, um, and uh, I like the way he approaches the, the game. So, um, and then there was Jan Blackwick. Blackowich uh, versus Luke Rockhold, and that was just um, hmm. that was um, sad. Yeah, it was bad. Um, <laughs> and they, you know that it was the left hook that caught him. But you know what? The funny thing is, and I say this all the time, this was Yan Black. But it's like one of the reasons. It's. I, I was telling a student today. It was saying this because students training boxing somewhere else, and 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 he said, "Look, you know, boxing's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Muay Thai's great. But if you want to do MMA." You have to train MMA. You're not going to see the transitional moments. And Luke Rockhold doesn't – he kind of relaxes too much in these transitional moments. The second time I've seen him just get cracked off of the break from a clinch. So mm-hmm. he's clinching, and they broke, and it was that left – that hook that just caught him. So it wasn't striking, and it wasn't grappling. It was a combination of the two, the same way Cormier dropped uh, Stevie Miocic. It wasn't pure striking, and it wasn't pure grappling. It's this in-between zone. Yeah, it's a transition. And it seems like Luke Rockhold – Kind of like when he wrestles, he looks good. When he does jiu-jitsu, he looks great. When he does um, striking, he looks great. When he models Calvin Klein's, is looks he amazing. Cal- is he? No, God. he's not. Amazing. He's an attractive man. <laughs> uh, he, yes, actually, I was, we had to discuss that before. <laughs> so some, some people have said that they watch him. He was, he was the one dating um, that rock, the, 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 the girl who does. Um, Britney Spears. No. no um, I don't know. Uh, Brianna. No, she's. Beyonce. Uh, she's. Um, she does jiu-jitsu. Um, Demi, Demi Lovato. Lovato. Demi Lovato, yeah. right? He was dating. She got. I think he's the one who got her into it. Oh. Or something like that. Did he also get into alcohol, too? I hope not. I hope no, not. I, he's pretty... Oh, I'm sure I'm just clean, messing yeah. No, she, you know, it's a tortured life, mm. I guess. It's a tough being a musician. Singer, musician, right? Like yeah. like as far as Tars born. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, when he looks good on all these individuals, and same with Aaron Pico. You know, Aaron Pico is like, like one of the be- best wrestlers, you know, on the circuit, trains with... Uh, um, uh, Freddie Roach in boxing, and yet in the transitions, in the dirty boxing transition, he gets molested. Is because Freddie Roach, amazing coach, but one of the best boxing coaches there is, you know, one of the best. He is not an MMA coach. You know, your wrestling coach is not an MMA coach. Your jiu-jitsu coach is not an MMA coach. You need someone to oversee. And you know, while Kamar Usman did very, very well, and that Hard Knocks three hundred and sixty camp is doing well. I still think that sometimes the guys demonstrated from that camp some blind spots in the transitions. Uh, and and uh, especially Henry Hooft is a great coach. The guy is a great coach. You can't have champions that many great coach. But he's still a Muay Thai guy at heart. And I think, you know, um, he's missing some of the, like, the, the, the blind spots of his fighters. You know, these fighters have these blind spots in their transitions. This could be that. I'm not sure. You know, look, I'm not. I'm not there on a daily mm-hmm. basis in that camp. So I don't want to. I don't like talk bad about um, Henry Hooft because I have a lot of respect for him. But I've seen a number of guys from 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 certain camps not be aware of the transitions, mm-hmm. even though they're really good strikers, even though they're really good rappers. It's like the in between is not there. I think Dana White said that he hopes that Rockhold retires. Really, which is surprising. Which is. Really? Just because he's taking a lot of punishment or something? Or? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was about the punishment. He's just been knocked out too many times. Yeah, that's true. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Is he um, a good actor? Has he been in anything? Because he seems like he'd be good in like... Something, yeah. Some, like a Mortal Kombat movie. Um, I think you know what he needs to do? And um, there's some fighters who need to take a little sabbatical. And maybe that's why he trained over, tra- stopped doing an AKA and he started moving over to um to through hard, hard knocks. I don't know why he left that that the AKA, but mm-hmm. but but he started he moved over to Hard Knocks three hundred and sixty in in Florida, and um, you know I, I would really really wondering why he switched over, but but um, let's try to get him on the show. We'll ask yeah, him. yeah, we'll ask him. <laughs> and uh, um, but uh, you know, you're you something in these transitions is missing. It could be, and also he's sometimes a little like. I don't want to say arrogant, but he's like, I'm better than you, so I don't have to mm. take you 
take your threat seriously, and then, boom, he gets knocked out. And he's like kind of like, I don't want to say arrogant because I don't know what's going through his head, but he kind of drops his hands and doesn't take the fight fighter, his opponent, as seriously as he should. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our favorite person, Chael Sonnen, did a recap of the Rockhold fight, and that was his main takeaway. It was he's just his hands. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Right, right. But in this, but you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, he's right. He's absolutely right. But it's you can't keep the hands up when you're pummeling in the clinch. Mm-hmm. Like my hand is underneath your armpit, and then, <laughs> but that's that point where you're pushing away, where you're making distance, and your hand is down, and then the guy can punch you in the face because your hand is down because you're grappling. That's the transition. You have to be aware of that. So when I'm, that's why when I have fighters, whenever we're clinching, I have them use a wizard, make a frame, so the far hand can't hit them because. We, you know, or when you break off, you punch first from your from your from your overhand, so that you 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 know that when you break break the clinch, you're very very vulnerable unless you wizard the guy down and break his balance first. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of an interesting, you know. Last uh, time I whizzed on a guy, I got arrested. <laughs> wizard, wizard is wizard, a yeah. is a control of the shoulder where you know, you know kind of sure, spin the guy are, down. Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Faber. Oh no. my God! Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so speaking of the 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 um the fight card for Randomy Lad, this was the night of massive upsets. And um, so first of all, um, you had um, you had Emmett and Merced Bektik, and I think a lot of people were expecting Bektik to win, and Emmett just molested him. It was like amazing. It was an amazing fight. It was it was really really cool. It was like. And he dropped Bekchik with the with the jab. He just he dropped him with the jab. So he jabbed him really hard. And it was funny. I was talking to my wife, and she's like, "Wow, the you know these fighters they 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 seem like the other fighter, not not um, em, em, Emmett. She's like, he seems to have a lot of power. And he's just not wrong. Bektik is a powerful guy. But I'm like, don't sleep on Emmett. He has power too. But he drops him with the jab. Then he starts dominating the position. And he this is statistically I was telling my fighters all the time. Bektik tries to come up, goes to the four points turtle position, so hands and knees are on the floor, and then Emmett hits him with the most vicious uppercut, and that is the statistically speaking one of the number one finishes in MMA, mm. uppercut from turtle, and that was what Cormier dropped uh, Anthony Johnson with. Um, uh, that's what um, uh, Fedora's first loss was when it was against uh, Dan, Dan Henderson. Like um, the uppercut from turtle, you can't see it. You're a little again off balance. It just hit him and it just knocked him, you know, into the solar system. It was just, bleh. it was that uppercut was the coup de gras. It was just bang. And um, and speaking of which, it's funny because uh, there's so many sculptures. I was talking about sculptures where there's so many sculptures we saw where where guys were attacking other guys and putting them in turtle and dominating from that position because it's like you know a three four thousand year old position. Man, you know how much of a pain in the ass it has to be to like pose for that four hours. <laughs> As the guys like sculpting, I'm like, are you done yet? I, you I'm know, cramping you know, that, up over that, here. That might be that. That's kind of interesting. I wonder how they would do it. You know, you probably did like a quick sketch and then did the sculpture off the sketch. That's true. That's easy. No, no, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I mean, he, the guys did model for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine modeling that. Especially they're like kimuring the guy. A couple of them were the guys came like, "How can you beat a kimura?" <laughs> I'm for like three? <laughs> Exactly. Right. <laughs> the guy's like, "No, stay there one more minute." Like, you destroy the guy's shoulder. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I, mean, I don't know anything about art, but yeah, I mean, like, because they do people do pose for sculptures. I don't really know. That's a good question. Um, and yeah, because a lot of the ones, it's, the guy's internal and he has an arm lock or something. I don't think you can't <laughs> hold that position for an hour. But um, yeah, so anyway, that was Mursad Bektik and, M- and, and Emmett. And then the other one was Faber versus Simon. And, and you know, everybody thought Faber was done. They thought he was gonna done. But I, I knew he was going to come back before. I knew he was going to come back. How long has it been since he fought? It was 2016. Come... Three Holy years. Moly, that's three a years. Long time. You know what? No rust? Yeah, yeah, no rust. I mean, but you know, he's probably in the gym training with the guys yeah, all day. Sure, yeah. And, but the other thing is, you know, he had a lot of injuries to heal up. And I think also he was burnt out with the whole TJ thing. And then the other thing is I think he didn't fight because before TJ quit, you know, he's like he doesn't want to fight his own guys. But now that TJ left him, he's like, man, I can go back in because, um, because uh, you know, like uh, I don't have to worry about fighting. I can, you know, fighting my own guy because he's not my own guy anyway. And then he healed up. And then, you know, I think Dana White really probably convinced him because, you know, Henry Cejudo called Uriah Faber out. You remember those last five? Remember you called your eye favorite out? Mm. And your eye favorite is retired. Like, why are you calling your eye favorite out? So probably Dana White's like, bring him back because there's two huge money fights. 
there's Henry Cejudo versus Uriah Faber, which everybody is going to want to see, even if Uriah Faber's been a while, because he's you know he's he's a legend. Mm-hmm. Even if Henry Cejudo is like more prepared, but I think what the real money fight is is Uriah Faber versus TJ Dillashaw. When TJ comes back well, from the suspension, give yeah. give give Uriah Faber like a year to get back into it. And get you know rebeg and ch- and then and your eye favors the TJ Dillashaw suspension is going to finish and then it's like the biggest money like the biggest grudge match fight you've ever seen. Oh my god! Like I, I mean like I don't even like drama and I want bigger watch than it. Kobe coming. I know, right? It's huge. It's like amazing. Like you know these guys. I mean, like it's I don't even like drama and I'm I'm like hooked. So he's like there's there's two major major fights that probably Dana White said look. You 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 want to fight this guy anyway because he betrayed you, and now you can make like enough money to support your retire you know, your, li- your lifestyle for the rest of your life. You could probably make like twenty million dollars in one night. So why not do it? And and then and then he could also maybe fight Cejudo for the title eventually too. You do know, it like, both in the same night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like Cold Side <laughs> Gracie. <laughs> well, five fights in one night. Yeah. But um, but uh, you know, I knew I knew it was gonna come back when when uh, when Cejudo called him out. I'm like, oh, there's something going back in the scene to bring mm-hmm. him back, and and it just it makes sense. And he's good. He's not really done. You can tell he's not done. Mm-hmm. He's 40 years old, but you know, grapplers have much more longevity, and you know, he has not taken that much punishment. You know, he's a he's a slick fighter who defends himself well. He does not a lot of brain damage. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a very sm- small, so he probably doesn't wear too much on his like knees, size wise. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I think also, you know, years of wrestling might have worn down his knees too, just mm. because you know wrestling is tough on knees. But no, you're right. You're right. I mean, I don't really know. Um, but uh, but he's in great shape, and he trains. I, I saw a video of him training with his guys, and he really looked great. You know, forty as a grappler, if you're, is not the end of your career. You know, it's not especially in lighter weight. Like you don't have to worry about. You said like. Um, getting punched in the face with so much power mm-hmm. and uh, carrying that much weight. It's different. So um, he excited? looks great. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm very excited. Um, I can't wait. And then uh, the last one was Random Me versus Lad, which was like just total you know, mismatch. Um, and I was just even surprised they brought Random Me back. I guess they, 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 they're not afraid of fighting Cyborg anymore or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's the problem with the, the women's division is that um, it's just not as – not as filled the bench is not as filled as the male division so sometimes you're just going to have mismatches you know it just mm-hmm. it is what it is sometimes that's going to happen and um and that was that was you can't really say cuz lad had a good record but uh, uh just um it was a beautiful one two overhand it was basics and randomly is just a much better striker just the way lad moves she's not not in the same 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 uh um you know same level of striking yet you know um so that that was that. That was that. You know, um, it was it was it was a great great night of fights. But um, um, I don't see anything coming up that's really gotten me uh, super excited. Well, there's yeah. some some good stuff coming up, right? Yeah, we could we could Holloway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good fight. Yeah, there's some there's some good. Yeah, it's uh, Frank Edgar versus um, um, Max Holloway. That that's that's gonna be an interesting fight. And um, Chris Cyborg fighting somebody named Felicia. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just judging it based on the names. Yeah. <laughs> My mom used to pick football teams based on whether which animal could beat the other one. <laughs> that's that's funny. But anyway, so <laughs> I wanted I want to circle back to what we started the podcast with with um with like the concept and during Luke Rockhold he has to change, he doesn't change, or you know, the kind of like sometimes you have to let the old ways go. You gonna um, sing, please? I, I I can't. You don't want me to sing. We'll lose all our subscribers. I'd say, yeah. I'll let always oh. go. Bye, bye everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, the the person uh, uh, John Will, who's a famous, really pioneering jiu-jitsu fighter and uh, uh, amazing coach in Australia, pioneer built basically one of the pioneers of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, scene in Australia, and one of the dirty dozen, the first twelve non-Brazilians to get a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I happen to have a very small acquaintance with him and have just tremendous respect for him. But he said something amazing, just absolutely amazing. And I, I got his permission to to um to you know discuss it. And he said, You must be a murderer. Every person to grow must be murdered. And the person thing you have to murder, you have to murder, you have to be a killer, you have to kill your old self. You have to grow. To grow, you have to kill the old you. So every move forward is 
fighting the old you. And it's really interesting because the minute he said that, there's an article that came out in the New York Times, which is uh, talking about um, 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 uh, psycho- the latest psychological research. And it's on the actual research is on procrastination. But it goes back, and I'm going to read this to you. It's really interesting, but it dovetails with exactly what he's saying. And I'm going to read it to you right now. So the, this is Dr. Dr. Hirschfeld, and he's, he has this massive research on procrastination. But he says on a neural level, and this is they're doing all these fMRI studies scanning the brain. He's like, we perceive our future selves more like strangers than actually as a part of ourselves. So when we procrastinate or when we try to change or whatever, parts of our brain actually think that the task we're putting off and the accompanying negative feelings that await us on the other side are somebody else's problems. To make things worse, we're even less able to make a thoughtful future-oriented decisions in the midst of stress. So when faced with tasks that makes us feel anxious or insecure, the amygdala, the threat detector part of the brain, perceives that task as being a genuine threat, in this case to our self-esteem and well-being. Even if we can intellectually recognize that putting off the task will create more stress for ourselves in the future, our brains are still wired to be more concerned with removing the threat in the present. This is called the amygdala hijack. And I've seen this over and over again in the academy. So what we're doing in martial arts is we're changing you. We're changing you as a person. So Matt, you come into my academy, you say, Renee, I want to, I want to walk that Bruce Lee lifestyle. I want, to, I want to use training to become a much better version of myself. And I'm like, okay, cool. So they start training and start training. It gets hard. Boom. Just as they, they are about to make this massive jump, and you can see it. They're just getting ready to get that massive jump to be a totally different person, different fighter, a much better version of themselves. They quit. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. All the time. The minute they're about to jump into some other place, they quit. Because, because the old self is fighting back. The amygdala is hijacking your brain and saying, no, 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 no. This future thing is scary. It's a threat. Change is threatening. Growth is threatening. The old way is, is comfortable. But comfort is not where the growth goes. The old way is, is, is comfortable. The new way is scary. We have to avoid stress and scariness. And, you know, I want to ask you a question. You know, when you started this business, was it, was it like scary? Do you have some sleepless nights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty freaking scary being a business owner. Didn't and sleep pretty good last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like jumping, quitting your job, yeah. your old job, and starting and being your own entrepreneur. Like, probably one of the toughest things you've you've done in terms of like a gut check, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, I mean, you don't have to agree with me. No, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. yeah, right, right. Yes. And and we ever have times where like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should do this. Do you ever doubt yourself or something like that? Every of the month, I right. think about giving up. And that's exactly it. It's every time. That's the amygdala talking. Mm -hmm. That's your brain talking because it likes the comfort of the old you, even though that life sucks. But sometimes we choose the sucky, comfortable life. Mm -hmm. You know, that, 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 you know, being miserable in comfort is actually like preferable to making a leap to the unknown. And I have one student and that student is phenomenal. And we, but the the student is, is struggling a little because it's, it's a different, it's, different being in a martial arts academy that is very combat oriented and i have so much respect for the student but the pressure's on and and so a lot of students that that one included they're very tough on themselves not comfortable with making mistakes sometimes not comfortable with blossoming into something new and different and especially when you're dealing with violence and and it can be very overwhelming and you know kind of had an emotional moment the other day because it was it was very overwhelming and i i like total respect it's happened so many times to me but it, it's it's going to that jump to the next level to grow to move forward it is not easy but it's worth it on the other side but you also have to understand you're not just fighting the, the good fight on the mat with your training and this you're also fighting a part of yourself your old self that comfortable self likes existing and you go like, no, I have to murder you. And that's that's hard. You have to be murdered. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background. And you know I've been martial arts for a long time. So I started out in actually karate. And, you know, a lot of people stay in their own traditional styles. And they all do this and this. One of the hardest things I ever did was put down my 
black belt and put on a white belt. And I've done that a few times. And I'll tell you, it does get easier over time, but it's not easy. When you're the man in one style mm-hmm. and you're comfortable and everybody respects you, and then you go to another academy and you're dog shit, <laughs> it is not a good feeling. Right. You know, but you have to like find a way to do it, you know? And I don't even know how I did it. I think it was just like I have an internal quest for learning and you know, I don't know, but it was hard. It was hard. And sometimes it's harder than others. And I'll be embarrassed to say this, but when I was first doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially going from karate, from striking to grappling was not so hard. Because I'm like, oh, I'm just adding skills, right? You can kind of mentally rationalize that. You know, you're like, I'm not quitting karate. I'm not quitting this, but I'm, I'm adding skills. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then, but going from judo to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was hard because I was also a ground guy in judo. I was a ground guy, you know, I, I did a lot of ground. So saying that what you did before was not as valuable as what you're doing now, and now it's time to read, is a really hard pill to swallow. It's really fucking hard. And that old guy says, no, 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 what you did before had value, and fuck those new guys, fuck those Gracies, fuck their bullshit, fuck their arrogance, saying they're better than, you know, the judo guys or this or that. And, and you know, that was me. If you, if you met me in 1995, I'd be like, you know, Gracies are good, but they're not better than judo. You know, judo armbar, Gracie judo armbar, same. And that's not really true. It can be true. It can be true depending on the fighter, but generally speaking, it's not. You know, there's certain levels of, of technical excellence that are that are more refined in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and certain techniques, and um, and the general concept of efficiency is a little bit higher on the ground, and and, and it's a different art, you know. So, um, you know, going from that to, to from Judo to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and just getting the snot beat out of me in the beginning, you know, it was so hard, and and I rationalized it, and I said, I'm just cross training. I'm like, this is the, so it's like I, kind of embarrassing to say, but I was like, I'm just cross training. I'm just here in this academy. I'm not going to rank in jiu-jitsu because I don't really need to rank jiu-jitsu. I just need, I just don't have enough partners, so I'm going to train cross train with these guys. So I'm just going to like go here to get the the movement, the rolling, the, the rolling that I want, but I'm still a judo guy. I'm a judo guy. Everything I did before in judo has value, and these graces are just people I compete against. I'm, I don't need to learn from them. That was how I kind of started a little bit. A little bit. Now, there's a part of me that said, that's a load of shit. But I had enough of that to, like, make the jump in. And then when I was in, over time, I kind of like, oh, that's so stupid. Just just give it up. Just just give it up. And it took me time to say, there was some value in what I did, for sure. But this is better. Time to put on the white belt. <sighs> Be, put that ego away and let the old guy, let the old ways go. Mm-hmm. And um, it was hard, though. It was hard. And then... Also, going from going into uh, MMA was not, it wasn't the same ego thing, but to say that, oh, now a lot of my jiu-jitsu I have to retool and relearn. Uh, a lot of my grappling I have to redo. A lot of my strike, like I have to rethink everything. It was, it was hard. It wasn't as much the ego thing because it was more internal, but um, it, it was hard. It was hard, you know? Um, and, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's necessary, necessary for growth. And and like I said, it's like so many people quit just the moment they're about to blossom. That happens all the time in the academy. Like I see it, I see it all the time. They're just about to go. This happened recently. This person trained with me for a while, and I said to him, I said to him, "You need to do this, this, and this to grow. You need to do this. And if you don't do this, your life will not be like you're not reaching your potential. Not just the martial arts of his life, because he he has um." He has a lack of self-esteem a little bit, and he, you know, he, he walks through life a little bit less sure of himself. And I said, you must face this challenge to grow. And I, like, you have to do it. And he was just about together, and he, he got a little injured in torment. I think it really scared him. And he pulled back, and I'm like, no, you need to do this. And I'm like, if you want to train here, you have to do this. This is your growth path. And then he quit. <laughs> and I understand that it's it's it with that it, that's I had to put that choice before him because I said, look, you need to grow like this. Without this path, you're wasting your time. You got to do this. And I put the choice for him, and maybe a little I could have communicated a little better, but I I kind of knew that this is where he needed to be, and he was really close to just going to that next level and just breaking through. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do it. I was very disappointed. But but I you know everybody walks their own path, and maybe he'll find someone else to make him grow in, in another way. But I've seen this path hundred times, and it's literally just before they're going to make that 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 massive eureka moment in their training, and then they, they go, 
And um, because they're fighting the inner demon, the inner, not demon, but the inner, that, that threat, the future is the threat. The unknown is the threat. The, the looking stupid in front of everybody is the threat. You know, that's a threat. That's this threat. What you, what you, the future is unknown, but this threat right here is real. What I feel right now is real. Mm-hmm. My anxious anxiety. And you have to find a way to like, to deal with that and see it for what it is. And I think the first step is to understand how the brain works. And we have neurological data that shows the brain is fighting itself. You know, you're fighting your, your stress neurons, your, your, your limbic system, the, the threat, boom, boom, boom. There's a threat. Way danger, Will Robinson, you know, there's danger here. And you got to be like, da, 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 da. okay, there's some danger, but we're going we're gonna to fight that danger. We're going to use that. This is a moment of growth. And, um, and you know, it's, it's very important for every martial arts student is that sometimes when you feel that anxiousness, especially when it comes to comp- competition. So I think everybody should compete. It doesn't even matter what, you, what, you, what martial art you do, but eventually MMA, but if you can compete in jiu-jitsu or judo, wrestling or whatever, anything, karate, you know, the amount of anxiety you feel is not fucking fun, man. You know, it is not fun. It's fun having a gold medal around your back. It's fun. But it's not fucking fun losing. Yeah. And it's not fucking fun, like, up until that point. And so you're, you know, and for me, I, when I competed, a lot of times I would, um, I would choke. I, I would not perform because the, the, the sense of threat of looking stupid or this or just doubting myself or this was so much. I could never overcome it to kind of be in the zone. And, um, and I never enjoyed competition. Never enjoyed it. Except later on when I was doing MMA, actually, I wouldn't say I was having fun, but I, the, my, my brain was in a mental, different mental state. It was like something different. I can't even put my finger on it. I don't really know, um, but I think it was sort of like I just had to do it. Mm. I, I don't even know what brought it to me, but but I was not the same as when I competed in jiu-jitsu or judo or karate or, or or you know the other arts I competed in taekwondo. You know, I, I never enjoyed it. Never, never had a good time. Really, just it was like pulling teeth. MMA was my choice and. It, I didn't have that same feeling of pulling teeth. I wouldn't say I was like, oh, this is hunky-dory fun. But at the same time, I had more of a control of my, my threat response. My, maybe it's just because I was older. But, um, but it was still hard. It was, I was scared, scared out of my pants every single fight. Um, but I had, to, I had to step through that fire. And, and grow and to, to be a better fighter, be a better martial artist. Yeah. Um, but I think everybody's on that growth path. And martial arts, what is it? It's a path of growth. And, and sometimes you see like guys in the ring, they're just totally, totally um, stagnating. Like they're not willing to go to those discom- uncomfortable places. They're not, they're not recognizing the future self is where they need to be. They're staying with the present self. And that's true, I think, in everything, you know? Um, sometimes you got to deal with those scary things to, to get to a better place. I, I think you always do. I mean, yeah. that's absolutely everything we want in life is on the other side of fear. It's a great quote that I like. Yeah. You know, I think I mentioned that before. But um, I, I, there's some fighters where, like Luke Rockhold, maybe is in that situation where he's just not, he's not going to where he needs to go. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing is that I noticed just, um, again, it goes back to that thing of the old ways have to die. It's, you know, I was I was a traditional guy in the karate world, and um, you know, going going to France, I did the seminar, and one of the things in the seminar was so great. It was we saw lots of guys from different backgrounds training together, and you know, it, it seems like there are so many fighters who um, who are not doing well um, in the traditional world, and the traditional world is um, is kind of being replaced. By the, by the MMA world, you know, like people are much more enthusiastic about mixed martial arts than they are about sport karate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like it's not even, like you don't even hear it, or even even judo. You know, like like you don't really hear about judo in America unless you're actively competing or or taekwondo or whatever. But everyone knows about MMA, and it's not just because it's pro; it's just it's something more interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, it like reminds me of that evolution of like the the art in the the museum I saw. It's like this old ancient you know form of. You know, art, and then it moves here into the Renaissance painting, and this and this, and all these different styles, and each individual artist. And it was great because we were watching, um, we were going the different, watch the the impressionists, and and you see Picasso, Manet, and and especially Manet was impressionist, and you see him grow as an artist, and each iteration of him is a is a is a different person. Like his like, oh, the way he painted in this stage is here, and the way he painted in this stage is here, and Picasso went through his like, you know, blue stage or his green stage, and. Every artist grows, and the same thing is true. Like if you're stuck as a karate guy, or you're stuck in your karate world, 
you know, it's not interesting, right? You're stuck in this world. You, you don't grow. You're this little tiny little pond, and you're this little frog or fish in this tiny little pond. And that world is not the larger world. You got to jump out of that pond into the ocean. And MMA is 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 the new way. And and you know, I, if I, I just saw like, oh, you're you're stuck um, in this in this place. And and the funny thing is talking about artists like. Um, there, there, there was this, uh, this famous story that I found. I didn't know about this, but you know, they, they, the original art instructors in the Paris art schools hated all these like impressionist painters. They they hated them, and they were never. They, so what the impressionists did was they had their own art show, and then everybody's like, "Oh my god, these guys are amazing!" Mm-hmm. But the old teachers were stuck in the mud, and they like didn't want to recognize how good they were. And the same thing happened to Einstein. You know, Einstein was like this amazing guy, and his original teacher was like, "You're a freaking idiot." No, the, the smartest guy in the world. The old stuck-in-the-mud teacher doesn't want to admit that Einstein's theories, which blow everybody out of the water, were mm-hmm. true. So we're always going to have these old ways because the old guys perceive the new stuff as a threat. And you can't see it like that. You have to see it as an opportunity. And, you know, like people stuck in the karate world or this world or that world, they perceive MMA as a threat. Like why, why, why are you perceiving this as a threat? It's not a threat. It's a threat because it's new, it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable. And your amygdala, your, your limbic system is seeing it. No, no, it's making you uncomfortable. You don't know this. This is a threat. You know, this is anxiety because you're insecure and this and that. No, just jump, take the jump and move. And it's true on an individual level as a martial artist. It's true on a group level. You know, I, th- I would like to see every single style of martial arts compete in MMA because that would be, be- the beneficial for everyone. Um, but anyway, that's that was my my take on that. I hope I didn't bore you too much. I can see your eyes glassing over. <laughs> no, we got we got to let stuff die. Yeah, yeah, you got to got to let it die. You got to kill it. You got you have to kill you it. You can't just let murder. it die. If it dies of old age, then you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to murder it. You have to murder it to murder grow. Murder the past. Murder your old self. Murder your old self. Don't murder someone else's old self. Just let them be. No, you know no, what? You gotta help, help them. Help them. <laughs> help them murder themselves. Serial killer. No, you know, no, that's that's become what, a serial motivator. That the serial motivator. No, because that's what happened to me. Is that I rolled with this is a long time ago. I was still in Japan. I rolled with Sal Hibero because he came to visit Japan, and it was it was just oh my god. It was like this oh my god moment where wow, this is different. This feels different. And always it helped me murder myself. He was the he was the first murderer. <laughs> <laughs> he gave you the knife. He gave me the knife. Yes, exactly. He passed along the knife, but um. Growth is always uncomfortable, yeah. and there are moments where it's not fun. Yeah. But the other side is so rewarding, so gratifying that you gotta go through the slog. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta go through the. So don't the give up. Yeah, you're almost there. You listening to this right now, you're almost there. Right. Don't give up. And I mean, it's exactly right. Like, the minute you want to give up is probably meaning when you're you're almost there. Yeah. And and like like. The person who who quit recently, and then purpose I see some people on that they're just about to explode into this amazing growth potential, and then they're gone. Mm. And you're like, oh, it's too bad. Almost. This is probably ninety percent of the time people quit at that moment. It's mm. weird. But anyway, that's my yeah. It's interesting and weird, and 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 sometimes sad too, because you're like your life is so much better once you just make that last jump. Yeah. Maybe not the last jump, but the the, the first huge jump. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway. So, so yeah, I'm excited for Holloway and Frank Edgar. And Coming I think, up, I think Holloway is going to just just dominate him. But um, yeah, I think so. Too. But Edgar's always tough. That's a guy who takes a little too much punishment, but he's always tough. Um, but I think Holloway's a just different um, different class fighter. But I'm also worried about Holloway's amount of trauma he takes is is uh, is is, uh, is worrying. But anyway, we'll see what happens. So, do you want to make another bet? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make a bet on the last one, right? No, we both yeah. agreed that Jones yeah. would win. Yeah, um, I did. Not, I don't know. What we got to bet? We'll figure it out. Murder anyway. each other? No, no. <laughs> oh, no. I got more stuff. I got... <laughs> you still have to slap me. <laughs> I did slap you as best I could. All right. I have so to murder my old self before you I have can to slap murder you. Myself. Oh, you know what it is? I'll bet if you win, if, if I win, you have to come and train with me for an hour privately. An hour? Yes. One hour of private. So you got to murder your old self. You have to do some martial arts with me for an hour. Private lesson. That's if I win. If I win? No, if I win. I get oh. that. I get it. If you win, you you get to do whatever you want. You're like, I got whatever you say. Do my dishes. Do your dishes. Absolutely. I'll <laughs> no. go over there and do your dishes. That's weird. <laughs> Clean out your dog's, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come take care you of Take the dog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'll take Miles' dog for the weekend. Have you seen Miles' dog? I don't think you've been here since he's been. No. All right. He's got a cute dog. Oh, wow. 
You guys can't see it, but it's cute. It's not here right now. I don't know. All right, that's the end of the show. That's the end of the show. It was a good show. I thought it was good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, oh, and we we okay. Next show, next show, hundred percent. We're gonna announce the winner of the the people who um, gave a, a, a review for for and, and we're gonna pick a winner to give out the killer, killer collector. Collect. So we're gonna pick, do the winner next next uh, next one, and then we're gonna say who the the reviewer was, and then you have to contact us and give us our address. But we're gonna save it for next one. Last, okay. one, yeah. Because we got a, we got a few more yeah, um, a few more um, really nice um, uh, reviews, but the, the next week we'll look at all the new ones and we'll pick a pick a winner. People are saying nice things. They're very nice things. That's nice, and it's cool because you know you go I go off to England and and Jalal, my friend, is is, is listening and he could persuade a few other people to listen to our podcast. And like you said, in Singapore, we're we're really big. Yeah, and uh, and it's um it's really really awesome, and I'm very happy to that that we have all those listeners out there. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening and saying nice things. I like nice things. Don't say mean things. I don't like mean things. I can't handle it. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't killed that part of me yet. Don't say mean things. Send them to Renee. He I seems, got, he's, yeah, he's, he's I'm stable. okay with the mean things. Yeah, <laughs> he can handle it. I can't. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore Culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes, and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.